people think that it's magic, um, that the computer is going to somehow do this for you automatically. It's computers are really dumb. Like they <laughs> only do exactly what you tell them. So you, you are, the, you know, in the future, we'll start being able to use, you know, machine learning or some kind of AI to help us to make these scripts in an mm. easier way. But, you know, machine learning is also only learning from examples that it had in the past, right? Hello, innovators. Welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. You're invited to join my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing industries. My guest today is the Senior Product Manager for AEC Generative Design at Autodesk. She's an architect with a passion for re-envisioning the way that buildings are designed. After working for several years as an architect, she joined Revit Technology as a fledging startup where she helped grow it to where it is today in almost every architect's toolbox. She has gone on to work on many Autodesk tools, including Formant, Dynamo, Project Factual, and Project Refinery, which has just graduated from beta. Welcome to the show, Lily Smith. Thanks. Very excited Thanks, to, to talk to you nice all about here. generative design. Great. Uh, so let's start off kind of setting the terms. How would you define generative design? So that is a good question and causes a lot of, a lot of people are asking that in the industry. And I think uh, the way that we are defining generative design, generative workflows, and I like to call it kind of generative design with a lowercase g and a lowercase d, um, is really about a workflow. And it's okay. about a workflow that uses data um, and uh, computers to help you generate a lot of options that you can then analyze and compare against each other. So it's really about... Um, you know, the generation part is the computer is helping you generate options. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be a little bit misleading to some people because uh, it's not coming up with those options itself, right? The computer is not generating um, these designs out of the blue. It's definitely based on the models that you describe and the uh -huh. inputs that you are giving it to and the geometry parameters that you're giving it to make these models. Gotcha. It's not a magic button designed to wipe the architect out. <laughs> it is not a magic button. <laughs> no, it is something that architects really, um, I think, should learn about and partner with to mm -hmm. enhance their design workflows. Gotcha. How did you first get interested in all things generative design? Yeah, so um, the problem of how can we design better buildings has really been a question that has guided my career. Um, so as you were saying in the intro, you know, I started out working on Revit when it was a startup because I thought what they were trying to do with 3D building information modeling was really a big improvement over um, what was available at the time with mm -hmm. 2D computer-aided drafting. Um, and after we were bought by Autodesk, I kept working on Revit and it was really, you know, a thrill to see it adopted by so many architects. Yeah. Um, and after a couple of years of that, I was um, really psyched to uh, 
work on some of the first energy analysis tools uh, in Revit. It was um, like in 2007, I don't know if you remember like Al Gore's movie that came out, uh, The Inconvenient Truth, which oh, yeah. really spurred a lot of people into action around what are we going to do about climate change. And so sure. I was really psyched to be able to work on uh, kind of next generation tools, um, looking at how can we automate the creation of energy analysis um, or models from building information models that were appropriate and good to use in hourly energy simulations, which would give mm -hmm. you data about the, you know, at an early stage when you can really make changes about what your model was um, or what your energy use was going to be. But the thing with that was that we had this great process to create automatically these energy models, but it was really a one-off, right? Like you were, you would design the mass, the form of your building uh, and, and test it, but there was no way to automate, like, what if I turned it five degrees and tested it each, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, each iteration of or if I had different parameters for its ratio of length and width, um, and I wanted to test all of those things, you know, I could do that manually, but what um, could, you know, computers are really good at doing kind of rote, perhaps boring work, like those minute um, Yeah, well, how do you optimize it better? How do you optimize that process better? Exactly. And yeah, how can you use optimization um, also to help you um, think through those various options? Um, so around the same time, Autodesk Research was also doing some studies uh, around uh, generative design. So we, uh, Autodesk Research actually bought this architecture firm called The Living, mm -hmm. um, and they were working out of New York City, and they were really interested in interested in applying some of these concepts of generative design because it wasn't you know this is not a new thing like generative design has been in art and architecture for you know decades uh, but they were really interested in seeing you know okay how can we use the concept of these workflows and apply them to um, to real projects and so mm -hmm. they did some really successful projects on redesigning one of our Autodesk um, offices in Toronto and also redesigning the entire show floor at AU 2018. Um, oh, well. or, sorry, AU 2017. Uh, and then uh, those ideas, our customers were like, we really want to be able to do that too. How do we do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was how we really um, kind of got the energy in the company and the money in the company to invest in making some of these technologies available for more people to try mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. um, and because that's, you know, what Autodesk is really like has been founded on is bringing these technologies to a lot of, to a lot of people. Oh, sure. Um, nice. So. Uh, so you've been working on some next-gen solutions at Autodesk for a, a while. What's been one of the biggest changes that you've seen in that time? The, the biggest changes in how we make technology or? Sure. Yeah. Uh, just uh, to the technology landscape, um, 
what's 10 years in technology, that's like a hundred years. <laughs> uh, has there been some sort of, um, kind of big moment that you would be like, Oh wow. That's when things really changed in the, the last 10 years. Well, I, um, a couple things. I mean, architecture and adoption of technology actually takes a long time. <laughs> I mean, you know, a lot of people are still using 2D CAD uh -huh. and, you know, a lot of people are using 3D building information modeling, but, you know, it's been like 10 years moving towards um, just adopting that technology. So it actually, you know, moves slower than technology in a, in a lot of places, but things like, um, you know, things like the cloud have had a huge uh, effect. You know, we were in the current climate of, you know, this pandemic and working from home, uh, you know, Autodesk really invested several years ago in um, sharing technologies using the cloud and mm -hmm. investing in making that secure and making it work well so that people could work from, you know, we already had the problem before people working um, between different offices. Um, sure. And it turns out that now when they're all working from home, that technology is really helping them to stay, you know, productive in these projects that they're doing. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so why do you think generative design hasn't been um, as embrace this quickly or, or maybe back to your point of it, it takes a while for technology adoption to, to really go into place. Um, why do you, do you think the, the generative design part of it has been, uh, yeah, just not as widely embraced across the industry? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've been in beta projects. We, you know, we started with project fractal four years uh, ago. Okay. And then we kind of took a little different tact because we wanted to um, make a tool that worked better with Revit, uh, which is on the desktop, and also took advantage of a lot of the um, community work around the Dynamo package manager for people to share little bits of code. Mm -hmm. um, so we... Um, uh, we took a different tact with Project Refinery and made it work locally. Um, and, you know, that uh, we have just graduated that now into Revit 2021 as a tool that's really widely available to people. So it hasn't, you know, it's been available in a public uh -huh. beta for a couple of years, but, you know, getting it out we joke that the best software tool that there is really is a, is an installer, right? Because if you give people like a huge list of instructions about how to install this beta, it is, um, it can be really a barrier to getting them sure. going with it. Right. Like sure. it's intimidating after, <laughs> after step four, but, um, now we have the opportunity that we actually have it installed with Revit 2021. So you don't have mm -hmm. to do anything now to, uh, start experimenting with these tools. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. 
Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit ASTI.com and let them know we sent you. Um, yeah, that's awesome. What, what have you seen as the response so far with the big announcement that it's in Revit 2021? Um, it's been, I mean, I think a lot of people are, it's the concept is actually, you know, while it's been in the industry for a long time, the concept mm -hmm. of, uh, actually being able to do this is new to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, we've seen a huge spike in use though already, um, uh, which would be expected because it's just such a larger audience that we can, um, that, you know, we have. Sure. Uh, and people are interested in trying out these new tools. So, you know, time will tell and see how, how sticky they are. And, um, you know, and we really, we ship with some sample content um, that people that are Revit users and not coders themselves can get started with. Oh, okay, um, nice. But uh, really to do, to, conduct generative workflows that are useful to what your projects are and how your firm designs buildings, you need to invest in making or tweaking our scripts to, to do what, you know, your special design secrets mm -hmm. are. <laughs> yeah. To customize it more. Yeah. Got it. Uh, so you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, what should, the, the partnership between the architect and generative design look like? Yeah. So I think a lot of people are scared that they think that the computer automation is going to come in and take over their jobs. Mm. But that is, um, you know, it's really, there's a lot of work and really a change of mindset that designers need to do to take advantage of these technologies because, mm. um, you know, just sitting down with a team and thinking about, okay, what are our goals for this design? Um, what are we going to study in terms of what's going to be like, what are our design variables going to be? You know, are we going to look at this uh, change in massing um, proportions? Uh, mm -hmm. Is that going to make a difference? And how are we going to measure uh, how effective these different resulting forms are. Um, just sitting down and having that conversation um, with a uh, diverse group of people who have input to this, to the project um, can be a really good exercise. Um, and, you know, there are things that should not be done with a generative workflow. Like there are, it's, it's not worth it to do all workflows this way right uh -huh. but there are some that that really are that by studying these um uh you know slight changes or or even big changes but that have um you know a lot of bang for your buck that like changing things a little bit could mean a, a huge cost savings um it can be really worth it to use the computer to help you study more generations yeah that's interesting are there certain uh, kind of best use cases that you see for generative design where you get that bigger bang for your buck? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, so we've worked with people. Um, one of the ones that comes to mind is um, some people in the Netherlands who were looking at laying out shipyards, mm -hmm. and it had a big effect for them where they located those shipyards or sorry, I really like uh, docks, like dry docks, like mm -hmm. places to fix ships. So they're making, um, but they're looking at various um, places along a coastline and the implications of where they would have to kind of move more dirt or, um, you know, fill in um, some of that uh, land uh, yeah. to make their docks can have millions of dollars of, of implications, you know, making uh, roadways and curving them uh, certain ways can make mm -hmm. a, a big difference. Um, architectural use cases, like looking at reducing the number of different panels you have to create, you know, a irregular form um, can be a really worthwhile uh, endeavor to study. And it can also mean that you know if you invest in making a script like that uh it can be used over and over again so i mm. would say like that is the other um place where it can really make sense we mm. see people in um one firm in hong kong was doing a ton of donut shaped office layouts and so they invested in scripts that would help them to study uh, those kinds of layouts because they were doing it over and over again on many mm -hmm. different kinds of buildings. Um, Interesting. So look for those repeatable plays. Yeah. Yeah. Repeatable plays or plays with, um, with, you know, big money implications, um, big design implications yeah. uh, involved. Interesting. How much coding is needed to effectively run generative design? Well, yeah. So it really depends on what you want to, do, right? Like we are working to provide out-of-the-box scripts that can be used by kind of any Revit user without having to necessarily invest in learning Dynamo. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, if you want to do what we have programmed or, you know, are the, the goals in the sample set happen to match your goals and that will, you know, that can work for you. Um, uh, our newer scripts let you automatically study layout patterns, um, like grid patterns. Uh, you can use those for lights or sprinklers or smoke detectors and measure kind of how effective their placement is. Um, but you'll probably want to make modifications um, or add goals or change a little bit how they, how they work. Um, and so, you know, the other part of this strategy um, to make this a very open-ended backend is to use mm -hmm. Dynamo, which is a visual scripting language. And the intent of Dynamo is to make it easier for architects and engineers to program geometry, program measuring uh, the effectiveness of, of that geometry in certain cases. Um, and you don't have to be a coder. If you are willing to learn how to kind of put these little blocks together mm. with wires that will, um, you know, it's a little piece of functionality that hooks up to another piece of functionality um, and you can string things together in an easier way. There's no compiling of code. You just, um, you just hook them together and then, then run it. Um, Interesting. 
Yeah, and there's also a big Dynamo community that um, is uh, answers questions on the forum. The Dynamo forum is very active, nice. uh, and it also um, they also share scripts. What I was mentioning on the Dynamo package manager, where people are sharing code uh, and using that uh, to uh, you know make their solutions faster. Uh huh. Awesome. Um, so I'm curious with you being an architect, does generative design turn the architect, you know, kind of known for being a creative, does it turn an architect more into the rule-based programmer? Um, well, um, you know, I think you can think creatively about how you are designing this generative study, right? Like you uh -huh. have to, um, uh, there's a lot of thought that goes into designing the automated workflow, right? Like it has mm -hmm. to, what are the bounds of that workflow? Like how much are you going to allow your building to stretch in a certain dimension in mm -hmm. or in length? Um, or, you know, what pattern are you going to start with to test these different automated layouts with. Um, mm. And so I think a lot of the skills that designers have with, um, you know, conceptualizing, you know, doing a, uh, also starting with a party can be a very important thing. So for the Toronto office layout, they had, they started with like six different ideas of parties of how they wanted to lay out this office. Uh -huh. And then within each of those parties, they studied how it can, how it can flex, how it can um, vary. And then they were able to measure the parties kind of against each other and against, you know, make the optimum one in each party. So, yeah. I mean, I think there's still a lot of, for sure, you know, skills that are applicable to new generative um, design mindset thinking, um, but still a lot of um, skills that designers have that are still you know, very important parts of, of, of design that the computer can just then augment and let you study a lot more than you could manually. Yeah, yeah I think that's really interesting because it's, it's not taking the creativity away. It's kind of shifting it and kind of adding a, a whole new dimension and element to it to let your creativity kind of go to, to new bounds, which is, I think, pretty exciting. Yeah, I think, I think it's very exciting. Nice. Uh, what are some lessons learned from Project Refinery? Um, so with Project Refinery, I was mentioning, so we started with Project Fractal. And that was a tool that was running in the cloud. We had um, basically Dynamo instances that you could run scripts with that were running in the cloud. Um, and people really liked the sharing aspects of that. So being able to send you a link and say, hey, look at this study that I did um, was a really great convenience. Mm -hmm. um, but as I was mentioning, people also wanted to work a lot more closely with Revit and they wanted to leverage this really strong Dynamo community of shared scripts um, that, they, uh, that they wanted to use. Um, so our team was working on Fractal, we took a little break, and then we came back and we um, decided to take a different tact for a while and bring everything local. Mm -hmm. uh, 
in a way that we can return to the cloud certainly in the future because doing um you know we right now we run on your desktop six instances of dynamo in the background and we're to in in order to you know speed up the process of making these different designs gotcha um, but you know that is a functionality that is very ripe to you know return to the cloud where you could offload that from your computer um, you know not have well your computer right now has a lot of power especially computers that people are using for Revit mm -hmm. um, you know it might be nice to also be able to do that in the cloud and then also be able to um, to share those just share those scripts um, so we you know one of we are have these projects, these beta projects, because we want to get feedback from our users. Um, so uh, we, you know, learned that we should try this other tactic, and it was pretty successful and allowed us to, um, to graduate Project Refinery um, into a tool that is now part of Revit 2021. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, yeah, uh, and we're still learning, you know, I mean, this is like, our first go at having this out there. And we're yeah. definitely still um, learning from our customers, doing user testing on new um, features that we're building uh, and gathering feedback uh, from people. Um, so yeah, we're definitely still learning and still working on uh, improving things. Uh, so yeah, it's exciting. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software's Live Lab Learning, a virtual classroom experience where students can listen, interact, and learn from veteran real-world application specialists in real time from anywhere in the world. Live Lab is the affordable, convenient way for your staff to take Autodesk certified training courses and even earn some AIA continuing education credits, all from the comfort of your own office. Visit ASTI.com for more information and let them know we sent you. That's awesome. Uh, so there can be a lot of results that come back when you run generative design. How do you not get overwhelmed by all the options? Right. So it's very important to work on declaring your goals, right? And um, use that as a, a guiding factor. And one of the you know, one of the benefits of this kind of tool is that, you know, in architecture and engineering workflows, there are, we call it multi-variable optimization, right? There's um, more than one factor that is changing and more than one factor that you are evaluating because um, there's a lot of different factors that you would, um, that you would consider when you're mm -hmm. making billing. And it's not that we're gonna have all of the factors are gonna be able to factor into this, but it's important what you choose uh, and then um, how you measure it. And we, you know, we try to make tools that can allow you to filter uh, down the number of options that you're seeing to just certain ranges. Mm -hmm. um, and you can do that after the fact so that if you, um, maybe you don't, know what exactly you have some idea of what your goals are because you had to set those up as outputs in the in the study um, but you maybe you don't know exactly what your 
um, what you're looking for. You can do a random um, uh, search through the design space that you've set up. Mm -hmm. And then after the fact, you can go and say, okay, I really want to look at the, um, you know, in the masking example, I want to look at the what, all the short buildings, um, all the short forms, and I want to see how they perform with this other parameter. Or I want to look at all the tall ones. So just being able to rank them uh, and filter them on a different criteria that you're measuring um, can be a really helpful way to look through uh, the results. We also use optimization. So we have a couple different methods uh, in our generation, how we generate designs, right? Okay. So there's things that can do this random search, um, but there's also a method where you can set up what your goals are beforehand and say, okay, I want to maximize the height of this tower. So only the ones that are the tallest ones are going to then be returned um, to your study. Mm -hmm. And so you can, um, in that way, you can get the computer to help you on generation after generation of studies that it's running, return only the ones that satisfy the goals that you set beforehand. So that's another way that you can um, do this, you know, filtering down of all of the designs that are in your design space. Because depending on uh, how many input variables you have and also, um, how, what the ranges are and how many tests you're doing with each range. You know, the mm -hmm. numbers can get very big, very fast for how many designs you're looking at. Sure. Yeah. So it sounds like it's, while you can filter on the back end, the more you can do kind of upfront and get organized, get your goals in line, the better. Yes. Yes. I would say that, you know, just having that conversation with your team about, what's important and what you're going to look at studying. Yeah. Um, you know, in some cases you can kind of like stop right there, <laughs> but, um, but using, yeah. you know, using the computer to then automate that conversation um, can really be valuable. Yeah. I love it. I, I think anything that gets you closer and better at collaborating and communication with uh, across teams is awesome. <laughs> It very much needed. <laughs> right, right. And we think that uh, having this data and these sets of designs that you can then um, filter through, um, we see people having much better conversations with their stakeholders mm. because they have this data and they can say, you know, okay, let's look at if these things are the best or, if, you know, let's look, you know, my tall building example. Like, let's yeah. look at all the, the short squat solutions next to the, and then let's look at the tall um, solutions. And, uh -huh. and you can see the data that is resulting from each of those solutions. Um, it can be helpful. Or they could say, no, I don't, like, let's not measure this on just square footage. Like, I also care about the, uh, how much surface area there are. Like, it's gonna be a really expensive facade materials. So actually, uh -huh. can you minimize how much um, surface area these designs are? Because that is really important. So just having that conversation can get out what goals are important for your stakeholders too. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, what's one misconception that people have around generative design that you'd love to, to knock down? Um, 
Well, so we talked about how people think it's going to take the place of the architect. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, you know, I definitely don't think that that is true. Um, you know, I think architects and designers, engineers need to learn how to use tools like this to augment their workflows. Um, another misconception is that a lot of people think that it's magic. Um, that the computer is going to somehow do this for you automatically. But I mean, it's you know, not your fairy godmother. <laughs> <laughs> it's computers are really dumb. Like they <laughs> only do exactly what you tell them. So you, you are, the, you know, like right now, maybe, you know, in the future we'll start being able to use, <laughs> um, uh, you know, machine learning or some kind of AI to help us to make these scripts in an mm. easier way. But, you know, machine learning is also only learning from examples that it had in the past, right? right. Like, it's, um, uh, so garbage in, garbage out, right? Sure. <laughs> um, and then I would just say that not all design problems lend themselves to generative workflow. You really have to be able to identify what you want to vary and how you're going to measure success. But also ask yourself, you know, is it worth it? to invest in writing a script um, if I don't have one that works on this problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Well, my last question for you, what are you most excited about the possibilities of generative design? So given the challenges that we are facing right now with this crazy new world, this yeah. pandemic, um, I am extra glad that we decided to go with a very open approach to our generative design tools. So for example, we ship with one of our examples that we ship with is this office layout script. Um, and when we were making this script, you know, a couple months ago, um, it was assumed that the goals for office layout would always be how could you efficiently, you know, pack as many desks into a room, right? But how things change. <laughs> how things change. And who knew we were going to need something really different. Assumptions change. And so it's really important to have tools that can change with the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it isn't the kind of thing that you can just build into input parameters, knowing all those input parameters before the world changed in a crazy way. Um, but you know, we're going to have a lot of work to do in the next few years to next several years. Um, you know, Autodesk and well, the world projects that in 2050, there's going to be 10 billion people on the earth. And if we're going to build enough buildings to accommodate all of those people, um, not kill the earth and be able to keep everybody healthy, we are going to absolutely have to use automation to help us do that work um, and, you know, be able to design and build safe and, you know, carbon neutral buildings um, sure. for the way forward. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's great point to, to end on there. Thank you so much for, for coming. Really enjoyed unpacking all things generative design with you. 
Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Of course. And thank you to all those listening. If you are interested in learning any more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anywhere by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Please spread the word by giving us a five-star review and sharing with your friends and coworkers. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our other applied software podcast, the AEC Disruptors. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is produced by Alyssa Chartier and edited by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.